0: Okay, as you uh, are finding your seats, perhaps you'd also like to uh, find a Bible if you've brought one with you. If you haven't brought one with you, uh, then don't worry about that at all. We're going to spend a little while looking um, at a part of the Bible in Mark's Gospel together, uh, but you'll be able to follow it up on the screen, uh, the verses that we look at, so you can read it there. But if you do have one, it's, we're in Mark chapter 10. Uh, we've arrived in our series on Mark's Gospel uh, the section beginning in verse 32. So Mark chapter 10, verse 32. Um, I will uh, read that and then we'll uh, unpack it. it says this. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. And when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As we look at this section in Mark's Gospel... Um, We're seeing that Jesus and his disciples journey up to Jerusalem is almost complete. A lot of Jesus' ministry, a lot of Jesus' time has been spent in the north of Israel uh, in an area called Galilee. But now he's traveling to Jerusalem. And a number of times he's begun to share with his disciples what he is expecting will happen there. This is in fact the third. Well, there's actually probably other occasions as well when, when Jesus predicted that he would be killed. Each time that he said something about it, he, he added a little bit more information. What began as uh, the Son of Man must suffer much and be killed. Now we're finding out more of what that suffering uh, would involve. He's going to be betrayed to the chief priest and teachers of the law. He's going to be condemned to death. The teachers of the law will hand him over to the Gentiles. And this suffering will include being mocked, being spat on, being flogged and being killed. Uh, And then each time he's also said three days later, he will rise. And what the question we're going to consider as we spend time in this passage uh, this morning is, well, how is Jesus' death good news? I mean, how could any death be good news? But how come Jesus' death is regarded as good news? When Mark began uh, giving his account of the life and the ministry and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, um, in chapter 1, verse 1, he said, this is the the beginning of the gospel, the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, verse 15, he recounts how when Jesus began to Uh, minister, began to call people to follow him, began to, uh, to preach and teach. He said the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So Mark wants us to understand what Jesus was talking about and demonstrating wonderful good news for everyone. And as this Uh, gospel account of Mark has unfolded. We've seen loads of examples of really, really good things happening as Jesus interacts with people. We've seen uh, a whole number of examples of people being healed, uh, where there was was no hope for recovery from an injury or a sickness um, or an illness. Uh, Jesus said to a man with a shriveled hand, stretch out your hand. And as he did so, the hand became totally restored. Um, We've seen a, a, a woman who's uh, who's been subject to, to bleeding. And uh, she's regarded, therefore, in her culture as being untouchable, but she she go, pushes through the crowd and she just reaches out and she, t- she thinks, if I just touch him, I know that I'm going to be healed. I know that my body will be restored. She reaches out, she touches him, and power goes from Jesus' body. Um, and she knows that then it's different, it's changed. She's completely healed. Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? I know that power has gone out from me. She just reached out to him and received healing. And other examples as well, where someone had a, uh, uh, a skin disease. The Bible calls it leprosy. It could have been any number of, uh, of different skin diseases. Again, it just meant that this person was, were, was on the outskirts of society, right on the edge. But Jesus comes and says, I'm, I'm willing. I'm willing to put my hand on you, even though no one else is, and heal. So we've seen healing. Um, We've seen people becoming free from evil spirits. In other words, we've seen Jesus change in someone's life what nobody else could. Um, A way of thinking, um, a a problem uh, that was as a result of some kind of evil oppression... Jesus just commands this to go. We can just get so used, can't we? Well, nothing, people don't change. We don't really change. Big problems don't really change. Um, you were born with it. You're going to die with it. Well, your mum your mum used to behave like that. Your dad used to behave like that. So you're bound to as well. We just expect. We have an expectation of bad news. We have expectation of of big problems not changing. But Jesus comes into people's lives and brings wonderful good news. We even see an example of a girl who dies being raised to life because Jesus uh, went to her house. Even though she'd been dead for some time, Jesus says, get up, little girl, and she gets up. We've seen Jesus um, command a storm that threatened to swamp the boats the disciples were on. He commanded that storm to be still, and nature obeyed. Incredible. And we've seen thousands of people fed from a collection of crumbs, really, or, well, five loaves, two fish. The only food available in an isolated, lonely place. But loads of people want to be with Jesus because he is good news. He breaks this small quantity of food, gives thanks to God for it, and gets the disciples to start dishing it out. And they have an incredible amount of leftovers, and everybody is Satisfied. We've seen tremendous examples of Jesus bringing good news into people's lives. But now Jesus is going up to Jerusalem. He's predicting his death. How is his death good news? And if you're anything like the disciples, indeed his closest disciples, our starting point is we're totally baffled. We're totally confused. The death of Jesus is truly baffling, head-scratching, puzzling, strange. The disciples were baffled. Why do we know that? Well, we're we're told as much that, that as Jesus is leading on ahead, it says that they were astonished. They were shocked. Jesus, again, is predicting his death, yet continues to lead boldly. Ahead, It doesn't seem to add it up. And sometimes we, we might be able to kind of identify with that. If I were to say to you, I'm really, really happy. Do you believe me? I might actually be really, really happy, but you're seeing what I'm like, and you're hearing what I'm saying, and it almost seems like it doesn't quite add up. You see, my, my manner, my posture, my tone of voice suggests that I'm not happy. My words suggest that I am. And it, it, it may not be right, but we can jump to a conclusion then. What he's saying is wrong. What he's doing is giving away how he really is. He's not happy. Turn that around in another way. We can say Jesus is saying he's going to die. He's, but he's, he's striding ahead. He's leading on. He's boldly going to Jerusalem. It doesn't add up. So perhaps then some of the disciples just start to discount what Jesus is saying. They can't understand it. They just go with his posture. They just go with what he's doing. And he's still leading confidently and boldly in front. Well, this must be good news. This must mean that Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. and Despite these strange things that he's saying about death, he's going to become, he's going to be crowned King. A new king for a renewed kingdom. And he'll have the place of honor. Um, he'll begin a revolution that will change, totally change how this nation is led. And what, how, what it's characterized by. And, and they're perhaps thinking then, and do you know what? This is good news for him. He'll soon be on the throne. He'll still be ruling and railing in, a, in an earthly kingdom. And we'll be close to him and maybe we could just get the best seats now there are 12 of us but a king can only really have one person sat on one side of him and one person sat on the other side of him so then James and John are trying to steal ahead of the other disciples say can we can we get to sit next to you so they were expecting Jesus to come into Jerusalem um, and and be this all-conquering hero um, who would overthrow uh, the Roman rulers and he would restore the temple, get rid of corruption, sounds like FIFA, um, Do it, totally renew the kingdom of God. And so they would think, well, this is, this is great. This is success and we want the top jobs. We want the best seats in the new kingdom. So when you come into your glory, Jesus, we want to be right there. It's not about being close to Jesus as he's about to experience death. We just want to be close to you. We know you're going to have to go through so much, so we want to be near you. How can we best support you? It's more a case of you're going to be in glory, and we want to be in glory as well. So we want that position. We want that recognition. Um, Jesus says, look, you don't know what you're asking for. They didn't. Jesus speaks of a cup and of a baptism, a cup that he's going to drink. um, And a baptism that he's going to undergo. And maybe they'd think, well, a cup? Yeah. Well, every king has a cup. A nice, ornate, golden, silver cup with the choicest of wine. Lovely, delicious, wonderful. Mm. Um, of course we can drink that as well. Can you, can you go through the baptism that I'm going to go through? Oh, that, well, this is a great kind of renewing, something refreshing, something positive. Yeah, of course we can. They're perhaps forgetting that in the Old Testament... Uh, Often the cup was referred to, not as a great blessing, but as punishment. Uh, One example would be in in the book of Jeremiah, and chapter 25. Uh, You can turn there briefly if you like, read on the screen, uh, or just listen. Um, Jeremiah the prophet, speaking hundreds of years before Jesus, uh, in chapter 25, verse 15, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. When they drink it, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword I will send among them. So this, this cup is an image of, of punishment, of just punishment for rebellion um, And Jesus is saying, I know that's what I'm going to take. The disciples are are misunderstanding. They're not understanding that this baptism, Jesus is anticipating, he's going to be plunged into death. He's going to be plunged, overcome by by death, Um, engulfed by it. It's not going to just be... Dipping his toe in, deciding it's a little bit, little bit unpleasant. The water's a bit cold. I'll don't, I don't think I'll go in. It's a complete saturation. Uh, no escape. So, well, it is a bit baffling, isn't it? Jesus saying the kingdom of God is, come, is near. Repent and believe the good news. But the king is about to encounter his crowning moment. But the crown will be made of thorns. And he's going to experience this, uh, this humiliation and violence and death it is puzzling people were puzzled by it when when the disciples uh, and other uh, of Jesus followers went on to to share it later we can see in 1 corinthians chapter 1 verse 22 paul writes there jews demand miraculous signs and greeks look for wisdom but we preach christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. By the world's reckoning, it doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. How is this wise? How is this powerful? Whatever people group we might be a part of, we think, well, yeah, I'm looking for something that's truly powerful and truly impressive or truly wise. How do you find that in a king who agreed to this, and went along and was crucified. It's baffling, and it is odd, isn't it, to think the the main symbol of the Christian faith is the cross. Some people, nice piece of jewellery, it's fine. Some churches might um, have on top of the building uh, a cross. What is the cross? It's a method of execution. If it began today, do you think people go around with a nice little silver brooch of an electric chair or a guillotine? It's, just, it's madness. It's baffling. How is anything good associated with that? And Christians, we can stop marvelling at Christ crucified because we, we hear about it so often and we talk about it so often. Uh, and sometimes for children, you're kind of growing up, you're, you're kind of hearing the words. Um, and, and learning some of the vocab that 's used, I think well, but slightly bizarre things can happen. I think well, having a chat with some some parents uh, some friends of ours, also parents, um, discovered in the garden a small uh, dead animal, um, bumblebee really wasn 't moving, no life in it. I think it 's died. did he die on the cross because it's almost like the, the phrase, it's just, there's, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. It just takes us a while to, to understand and we can become familiar with the phrase, but, but it loses this sense of wonder, this sense of impact. So the death of Jesus is truly baffling. And if we are going to see that it's good news, perhaps that's actually where we need to start or return to. The fact that it is totally shocking that someone claiming to be The king of God's kingdom. Someone um, claiming to be the son of God, the Christ, the chosen one, the Messiah, the one who's going to save, should die. But that's where the disciples started. That's where we start too. But it's not just baffling. The disciples' thinking is completely changed by the death of Jesus. And so the death of Jesus is truly inspiring. It's truly remarkable. It's a truly amazing example of of the values of God's new kingdom. It changed the way the disciples thought, well, eventually. Because so often the disciples show us not God's ways, but the world's ways. Now, I mentioned earlier that uh, this is the third time when Jesus has clearly spoken to his disciples and predicted his death that's soon to happen in Jerusalem. Each time he predicts his death, the very next thing that happens is it's very clear that the disciples do not understand. The disciples are totally baffled by it. So, chapter 8, Jesus predicts his death there. Uh, in verse 31, and then straight away, it says in verse t- 32, that as Jesus was speaking plainly about this, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You're the, no, this must never happen to you. You're not allowed this to happen. And Jesus responds to him, Look, you, you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Those aren't God's thoughts. Those are man's thoughts, human thoughts. Well, what are human thoughts? In this example, what are the world's values? Self-preservation. Or in other words, look after number one. That's what Peter is saying to Jesus. No, look after yourself. Protect yourself. Don't worry about what happens to other people. You, You keep yourself. Preserve yourself. Look after number one. That's the world's way of thinking. Make sure that everything's okay for you. Don't worry about others. Just concentrate on yourself. Um, it can be a value in, in the world's way of thinking. thinking. The next time that uh, Jesus uh, predicts his uh, death is in chapter 9 and, uh, and verse 32. And then what happens next? Well, it says in verse 33 of chapter 9, They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? but they kept quiet because on the way they had been arguing about who was the greatest so not just self preservation but but self confidence go on you've got to push yourself forward you've got to assert yourself it's a competitive world so you've got to get ahead of the pack and so as they're on their journey, Jesus again walking ahead, disciples following in line, having an argument amongst themselves about who's the most important, about who's the greatest. And therefore they they don't because that's their way of thinking, they don't want to associate with, with the weak or people they might consider to be unimportant. So the very next thing Jesus does is goes and gets a child, and brings a child amongst them. Totally ignored by the disciples, but welcomed right in by Jesus. Later on he's going to say, you need to be like a child if you even want to enter my kingdom. You're so puffed up with your ideas of greatness, but the way in is humble, is being humble. But the world says no, assert yourself and grow in your own self-confidence. And then on this third occasion, Jesus has been uh, predicting his death, how the disciples react this time? Well, self-exaltation, lifting themselves up. These two disciples, James and John, try and steal ahead of the others because they're seeking the positions of greatest honor and prestige. They want others to recognize and bow down to their superior position. Just a little bit underneath, uh, beside Jesus. They, they want influence. They want Importance. They want the badge of honor. They want people to serve them. And Jesus is teaching something completely different. The kingdom values, the values of his kingdom are completely different. Notice this though, that Jesus doesn't stop them seeking greatness. Stop trying to be great. He doesn't actually say that. Instead, He turns upside down what it means to be great. He says, well, yeah, continue to seek greatness, but this is what greatness actually means. And so he teaches them. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials, their great men, exercise authority over them. Is it wrong to have authority? Is it... Well, no, but so often in the world, it's the, the way it's exercised is results in squashing people. Squashing the people you have responsibility to lead. That's so often the world's model. But Jesus wants to teach them a different way. He says, no, not so with you, in verse 43. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all that's what Jesus teaches and that's what Jesus demonstrates it's not just words he demonstrates it by what he does we've seen that in these these examples of good news that have happened already in Mark's gospel How he cares for the person, welcomes the person who would be pushed right out, right on the very edge of society. Forgotten about, untouchable, uninterested, unimportant. And God brings them right in. Jesus brings them right in. Jesus makes the important official wait while he finds out, who touched me? And he wants that woman to be blessed more than just physical healing. We see this, this good news in, in John's gospel. He gives the example of, of Jesus with his disciples, these men that he leads, these men that he's teaching. And what does he do? He gets down from the table. He, he puts on the, uh, the kind of the garb of the lowest servant and he washes their feet because there's no one else who's going to do it. And the disciples certainly aren't going to do it for each other. So Jesus steps down and he does it. He gives us a completely different, Model of greatness. He teaches us about it and he demonstrates it as well. And this gets into the disciples' way of thinking eventually. Every aspect of their lives becomes cross shaped. The way they think about life, the way that they encourage us to relate with one another, relate with enemies. Relate with people that we lead, relate with people that lead us, all becomes affected by jesus death the The ultimate example, the ultimate demonstration of what he was trying to teach all along even comes into the, the context of marriage when jesus ta- uh, sorry when Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he makes a, a, a particular point to husbands in chapter 5 and he says husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so i see this model of leadership this model of serving this model of sacrificing oneself for the benefit of someone else in that example husbands loving leading blessing serving their their wives. Now, it doesn't mean kind of uh, timid, apathetic, passive, shrinking back. Well, well, whatever you say, dear. Um, just abdicating a sense of uh, any responsibility. We see here Jesus is boldly leading up to Jerusalem, knowing what's happening, and encouraging those who lead. We'll, we'll, Emulate him. Copy his example. See how he handled that crisis when he knew what was coming, but he still led into it and kind of protected and sheltered and taught and blessed those who were following. He didn't need propping up. Oh, yeah, how how inspiring. Wonderful. What a wonderful example. The death of Jesus may have baffled us to start with, but the disciples uh, arrive at this point where they see it's truly inspiring and it shapes their life. Is that helpful? Well, yes, it, of course. But is that all that we can say? Well, no. We need to see something else that Jesus is teaching and showing here. We need to see something else about his death. Because of the problem of encouragement. If I want to, to learn, learn a new skill, is it always effective for someone to say to me, here's how you do it and be just like me. Or perhaps it could be said in less kind ways, but uh, uh, not specifically about my family, but the example of, well, I just wish you could be more like your brother. I wish you could be more like your sister. This is what you should do and copy her example. Come on, on with it. Goodness me. And it it becomes pressure, becomes discouraging. And if the Christian message is just follow Jesus' example, listen to what he said and follow his example, be a better you, try harder, then it, it has no power to really bless. And no real power to truly inspire either. So there must be something more than just, follow my example, be a better you. Because finally, the death of Jesus is life-changing. The death of Jesus speaks to us and says, I have the power to change your life. Because Jesus' death, is unique. What does it say in verse 45? What does Jesus say as he's teaching his disciples? He wants them to understand what it's like to be in his kingdom. He wants them to change their way of thinking. He wants them to become great by, by serving, not by lording it over others. How does he conclude? In verse 45 he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as an example for many. Is that what it says? No. He says, to give his life, he's speaking of himself, to give his life as a ransom for many. Today, uh, the idea of a ransom really only comes into our thinking if we're maybe watching a Hollywood film once in a while where somebody has been kidnapped, is being held hostage, and the family have to pay some huge sum of money um, to release them and the film follows that kind of plot, their attempt to rescue this cherished loved one who's being held hostage. Actually, that's not such a foreign concept in other nations um, of the world. But anyway, at this time, having to pay a ransom wasn't so uncommon and it could be for a number of reasons. It, a ransom was paid to free a slave or to free A prisoner of war. Or even to free a condemned criminal. If you can pay the price, then this person is set free. If the price can't be paid, they remain captive. They remain chained up. They remain hopeless. Their circumstance, their situation can't change until the price is Paid, and so Jesus is saying that His life is the payment necessary to release us, to set us free from captivity. You know what I think, well, well, who's the payment going to? That's not the point of this image or this metaphor. It's look at the sorry state that this person is in, and they can't rescue themselves. So the death of Jesus is good news because it's life-changing. It's life-changing because the death of Jesus is a ransom that buys our freedom. We were in a hopeless, serious and sorry state. The image doesn't flatter us at all. I guess we may attempt to free ourselves. We may attempt to try and break free from the chains of of sin, of looking after number one, the sin of having to push myself forward and, and assert myself, even if that does involve kind of squashing others in the process, the sin of trying to make much out of me and get into a position where more people will be forced to acknowledge how special and important I am. It can sound over the top, but it's so easy to be dragged into. We might try and free ourselves. I'm, I'm, I'm going to serve other people. I'm going to find a mission or a cause where I can, um, which is not about me, it's, it's about blessing others. But so often, um, well, in every example, it, it, it turns around. We just can't break free of those sinful ways of thinking. I don't know if you are familiar with the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Who is the cute little good guy hobbit in the Lord of the Rings? Oh, you're not familiar with it? I think it's Frodo, yeah? as the trilogy unfolds, he's the good guy and he's got this mission. He actually has to take a ring of untold power and rather than use it for his own benefit and his own glory, he's got to take it to the only place where it can be destroyed forever so that no one has this ring because whenever someone wears this ring, it kind of start, it corrupts them. And... Evil just starts to flow. So the, the mission is destroy the ring. And this responsibility weighs on him. This simple little hobbit, he's got to get there for the benefit of the whole of Middle Earth. And all the elves and all the rest of them will be okay. And he gets there, he gets to the place. Spoiler alert, if you haven't read the books. When he gets to the place where he has to drop that ring into this um, burning lava is at that point he changes his mind. And the ring has seduced him, and he wants it. It's mine. This is for me. This is about me. I want it. I'm going to keep it. No one can take it away from me. The hero of the story, that's where he ends up. And sometimes that's, well, that's where we can end up starting off with, with, with good intentions, starting off with a desire for this to be a, about other people's benefit, but after a while, it, we've been seduced again. Into, it's, it's about me. There are, there are nations in the world, and they have been uh, rescued from oppression, sometimes by our doing. They've been rescued from oppression, by a national hero someone rises up and overthrows um, the rulers sets the people free fantastic and they are the hero and how strange it is that still decades later it's still that person in power just can't let go they were the rescuer but now they've become the tyrant they were the solution to the problem, but now they've become the problem. Some people might be blessed, but many people oppressed as someone tries to prop up their regime. Well, we see it there, but we can see it in our own hearts as well. We see it in these disciples, and so we see this utter powerlessness in, by human efforts to ever change this slavery, this imprisonment that we have to sin and we've seen that in the passage so far when Jesus met this rich young ruler last week when we looked at it uh, Jesus said look children how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other who then can be saved Jesus looked at them and said with man this is impossible with us It's impossible. There's no way. The only way to freedom is if someone pays the price. We can't pay it. A friend can't pay it. We're all in the same predicament. We're all in the same problem. We're all captive to sin. We're all locked up and unable to buy our own freedom. A freedom that actually changes the way that we think and are wired. So why is Jesus boldly leading up to Jerusalem? It's because he's going to make the impossible happen. He's going to make the impossible possible. His life, God's son, without sin, given over in death, is a ransom That pays for us to be redeemed. That's what the word means when we talk about redemption, redeeming. Sounds like a religious word. It's actually a financial term. Buying someone back. The only way for us to be free was if God chose to buy us back. To set us free from the punishment that our sin deserves. To set us free from the slavery that our sin involves. Freedom from pride. A freedom that will lead to real change. That's why these disciples really changed. They were all interested in their glory and their own status. But these men, and in particular we're told about James uh, later on in the book of Acts, these men would give their lives. For others, we find out in in Acts chapter 12, this bolshy, arrogant, glory hunting disciple lays down his own life in Acts chapter 12. When we're told in verse 1, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword James chose to kneel James chose to encounter his own baptism his own cup Jesus said well you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant they came to that point where because of the death of Jesus Their life had changed. Their whole way of thinking had changed. What they understood to mean greatness had completely changed. So it could be that the death of Jesus is just baffling. How is it good news? And if you are baffled by it, even as Angie said earlier on, perhaps there is a next step of investigating it. Finding out more, either directly looking at the pages of the Bible where it's spoken of. Sometimes it's by virtue of asking questions to friends, doing one's own research, even if that takes you to the British Museum Library, Library, uh, where you saw uh, finding some finding the evidence, seeing the evidence for yourself. But we've got to see that it's more than just about an inspiring example. Sometimes as Christians, that's where we can end up. We can just be thinking of of what we should do, how we ought to be, what Jesus was like, and copying that. But that by itself is not power to change lives. This power comes because we've understood something. We've received something. The Son of Man has come to serve us in a way that no one else could, and we couldn't serve ourselves and that brings a freedom because he paid the price. Father God, we want to thank you for your, for your words. We want to thank you for what you taught. We want to thank you for what you demonstrated. We want to thank you for your boldness in leading ahead, uh, even knowing what was involved for you. And you trusted your heavenly Father, that even as you allowed yourself to be killed, you would be raised three days later so that we can be united with you in your death and resurrection, so that we can die to those old ways of thinking, ways of rebellion, ways where really self is always at the center and can be raised to a new life and raised to an eternal life. Thank you, Father, that for us baptism is a picture of Of what you went through. You went through the reality so that we don't have to. You were plunged into death and into punishment. You had to down this cup of uh, righteous uh, anger and punishment so that we don't have to, so that we go free. So our freedom has been bought. Thank you, Lord. In your gospel, in this message of Christ crucified, is power and wisdom. That changes our lives, gives us a new future, gives us a new outlook, gives us a new destiny, Lord God. And we don't just want to be familiar with the words. We want to understand and know its impact in our own lives. Thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen.